Well, hi there. Hello. Happy Sunday. Welcome in. The Packers win 24 to 20 at Lambeau Field. This is the post route on Game On Wisconsin. I'm Alex Strofe. I'm hanging out with you for the next 30 to 45 minutes as we try to make sense of this ugly victory for the Green Bay Packers. Again, a final of 24 to 20. I'll be joined throughout the program by producer Kyle Hoffenbecker, who is uh, clicking the buttons behind the scenes. He's also screening your phone calls at the call-in number, 877-878-7683. I want to get your opinion on anything around today's game. Um, So we'll be taking your calls throughout, spice it up, and bring your opinion. Please do so. I love talking with each and one of you, each and every one of you, excuse me. As we break this thing down, I'm fighting the ugly COVID, but I'm such a dedicated guy. I still decided to show up to work today. Uh, so you can applaud me when, when you call in later um, again throughout the show, taking your phone calls. But let's dive in. Uh, let's talk about this ugly victory for the Green Bay Packers. Again, a 24 to 20 final. And this game had a little bit of everything scattered throughout, didn't it? Really? I mean, this game had a little bit of everything. We had J.K. Scott's ankles figuratively broken. I mean, he looked like he was taking an Allen Iverson crossover as Keelan Cole waved goodbye on his punt return touchdown. We had Miles Jack with an Oscar Award-nominated flops at some point throughout that game. We had, uh, you know, Zadarius Smith with a third-down sack. The entire defense left him hanging on a celebration. And, of course, we had Aaron Rodgers furthering the MVP narrative that's been following him all season long. While he furthered that narrative, he also reeled it back in when he threw a rare interception there in the second half. So a lot of ugly things to take out of this game, a lot of bads to take out of this game, and we're going to get to it. Um, So the Packers obviously only, only win this one by four points, but this game, you know, even in the first half, it felt similar to that 30 to 16 victory over Atlanta on Monday night football in October. Do you guys uh, remember that ugly victory? I mean, it was, it was still a victory. It was still a 14 point win. It was still a win and a win's a win, a win, right? A win is a win, but when it's ugly, the way it was over Atlanta back in October and the way it was against Jacksonville today, there's not a lot of feel good to come out of this one. Not a lot of feel good to come out of this one. And similarly to that game against Atlanta in October, the Packers finished today the first half. They were down with three minutes left in the second quarter, two quick scores to turn it around, take the lead, and head into the break. Now, uh, similar to that game, both that Atlanta game and the game against Jacksonville today, the entirety of both of those games was just too close for comfort against a bad team. And when you're a team like the Green Bay Packers, who's sitting atop the NFC at seven and two, who's, I mean, has a great lead now in the NFC North at seven and two, they typically shouldn't put you in situations where you're thinking to yourself, okay, is this team actually good? Is this team actually as good as we think they are? And clearly right now, the answer is no. You know, we have to stop pretending that bad games, both offensively and defensively, or some wacky outlier for the Green Bay Packers. This is real. What you saw today at Lambeau Field against the Jacksonville Jaguars. You can bring up the weather. You can bring up the injuries, which, I mean, there was less of those today than there has been pretty much all season long. 
We have to stop pretending that bad games on both sides of the ball are an outlier for Green Bay because at the end of the day, that is what this team is. This team is just good at winning ugly, and that's exactly what we were saying about them last year, and I know everybody hated that narrative, but it's back and better than ever, baby. The Packers are good at winning ugly, and they're really good at keeping bad teams in games. We saw it against Atlanta, saw it again against Jacksonville, the Packers just always stoop to the level of their competition. And we'll get more into, I mean, what happened there and what we learned later in the program as we do each and every week after the Packers game. But I want to know if you're ready to hit the panic button. Please chime in uh, in the live comment section on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Give me a call or a text, 877-878-7683, or shoot me a tweet at Alex underscore Strofe or at Game on WI on Twitter. Curious to know if you're ready to hit the panic button on the Green Bay Packers, even at 7-2. and two. The record's wonderful, but does that really indicate how good this team is? Because I don't think it does. I think 7-2 and two might be a little bit of a fluke. We'll dive into that next week matchup against Indianapolis, which is really starting to look like it could be the biggest game of the year uh, for the Green Bay Packers. We know Indianapolis is a good football team but they're kind of in that mid-tier level where we don't think they're going to be a Super Bowl representative by any means out of the AFC. We just think they're going to win that AFC South. But big news coming in halfway through uh, or more towards the end of this game uh, as David Bakhtiari last night sent out an interesting tweet, very uh, you know subtle tweet last night for David Bakhtiari, just a smiley face. Um, and we learned towards the end of that game David Bakhtiari and the Green Bay Packers have agreed to a four-year, $105.5 million extension, according to NFL Network's Ian Rappaport. Uh, so David David Bakhtiari, a Packer through 2025, and he'd missed quite a few games this season. We kind of saw the offensive line musical chairs that the Packers were playing for a majority of the season. And... Now they lock up the best, debatably, left tackle in all of football in David Bakhtiari, a four-year, $105.5 million extension. He becomes the highest-paid offensive lineman in NFL history. Boom goes the dynamite. And uh, as one of our favorite clips, producer Kyle and I, one of our favorite clips, we've gone to it a couple times this season, but here's David Bakhtiari last night. Tell him to bring me my money. Hey, 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 David Bakhtiari telling the Green Bay Packers to bring him his money. Four years, $105.5 million. We'll turn to producer Kyle now. And, and producer Kyle, obviously, uh, number 69, the sexiest number on the field, but also the best left tackle in football, and the Packers have locked him up. And he was priority number one the whole time. He always has been. I mean, all offseason you heard about, you know, what player is going to, you know, what what's the, the list of priorities? Because there are, I mean, roughly about five players, you know, uh, David Bakhtiari, Aaron Jones, Kevin King, Corey Lindsley. You know, who are those guys who should be signed first? And hands down, it was David Bakhtiari was, was priority number one, and it always has and, and obviously now for sure is. And one thing I want to point out too, Adam Schefter just tweeting, he gets a $30 million signing bonus along with that contract. So, yep. yep. Yeah, that's where the confusion on the number came in, right? I mean, there was a big signing bonus attached to that. That's why it bumped up to that 105 uh, rather than the initially reported $95 million. So 
David Bakhtiari is running to the bank, and rightfully so. Like I keep saying, the best left tackle in football. He was back today for Green Bay. He looked okay, right? Nothing terribly bad out of David Bakhtiari's corner. Nothing super great. Uh, but nonetheless, big breaking news. And that brings me to a question I posed on Twitter uh, earlier today. And that was before the news of a Bakhtiari signing came out. And that was surrounding Aaron Jones, who didn't by any means have a great game, 13 carries for 46 yards, a lot of those late in the second half, and uh, to go along with five receptions for 49 yards. So just uh, 95 all-purpose yards for Aaron Jones today, didn't get in the end zone, and really wasn't as effective as you typically expect or like out of Aaron Jones. So I posed the question on Twitter about two hours ago now. I said, where do you stand on extending Aaron Jones? Do you want to extend him? Do you want to let him walk? Or if the price is right, you, you keep him around. With 138 votes in right now, 33% say extend them, 26% say let them walk, and 40% say if the price is right, which is, I, I kind of fall into those last two categories between the let them walk and if the price is right category for Aaron Jones. Now that you sign David Bakhtiari to this massive contract and you see the little impact that Aaron Jones had against a bad team in an ugly win, where do you stand, Producer Kyle? Where are you at on the Aaron Jones contract extension? The emergence of Corey Lindsley as an all-pro center. I've had his first bad play today allowing a sack really makes things tricky in re-signing Aaron Jones because you almost want to bring Corey Lindsley back now and have the two big signings be Bakhtiari and Lindsley and keep that offensive line right. strong because the offensive line is, is the heart of this team other than Aaron Rodgers. I want to say for the price is right, but there's going to be a team out there that's going to offer him, you know, I'm looking at a team like, you know, Seattle or Atlanta or, you know, teams that need a running back. You know, I, let I don't, me follow up with this. Let me follow up with this quick, Kyle, uh, okay. before, before we got to move on. But if, are you confident right now, if I said next year, you've got Jamal Williams back and you've got AJ Dillon, are you good with that? No, I'm not confident with that. Okay. But see, the thing though, is that, when we drafted A.J. Dillon, my immediate thought process was Aaron Jones and then coming back next year because, you know, draft a guy, you know, you draft a running back, such a, you know, replaceable position with a set with a day two, with an early day two pick. Your thought process is, well, either, you know, your starter is gone or, I mean, that's really your only thought process is you think the starter is gone. And, um, you know, second round pick historically has hit for the Packers. And I, I can see that very well happening with A.J. Dillon. You know, that second-round pick hits, and A.J. Dillon becomes a, you know, Pro Bowl running back. He, mm. you know, great power runner. Um, you know, his receiving has been, you know, at Boston College didn't do a lot of receiving, but he says he can catch the ball. Mm. I want I want Aaron Jones back. I love I love the guy. He's such a versatile player. Yeah, he, yeah, he, he is. He can receive, and he's, his pass blocking has improved – Immensely on, on that MVS 78 yard touchdown alone, he had the key blitz pickup to make that play happen. And Aaron Jones, I don't think, makes that play two years ago. So his pass, if it's for the right price, yeah. But I, I'm, I'm not paying a, a running back $10 million a year because, one, I don't think the Packers can afford it. And two, I just don't think it's a good investment. I don't think it is either, and that's that's kind of where I'm at. You can let him walk probably, right? I, I, well, I don't know. We'll see what happens with Aaron Jones, but that's producer Kyle standing by to take your phone calls 
Give us a ring. We'll do calls here in a few minutes. 877-878-7683 is the number. But I want to get to an interesting stat. I want to get to this stat because this is what stands out to me. And this makes a lot of sense surrounding the Packers campaign in 2020. Now, the Packers are in rare air here. They have something in common with only Indianapolis in week one and Houston last week. The only two other teams to do this against the Jacksonville Jaguars in 2020. And that is score under 30 points. Only the Packers, the Houston Texans last week, and the Indianapolis Colts, who the Packers face next week, they scored under 30 in week one against the Jags. Only three teams all season in their nine games have scored under 30 points, which I find almost ironic, almost poetic in a sense, because weren't we making Green Bay's 2020 campaign about the offense scoring points just a few weeks back? Weren't we raving about how this offense consistently is putting up 30, 35, 40 points the first several weeks of the season? And now week 10, they're one of three teams that haven't scored 30 points against one of the league's worst teams. And not only did they not score 30 points, they only won that game by four. So again, we have to stop pretending that bad games from the offense are a wacky outlier for the Green Bay Packers. This is their identity, folks. And while I do full-heartedly believe the NFC is wide open, while I do believe the Green Bay Packers can absolutely make some adjustments, fix their issues, and make a run for the Lombardi, of course I think that's possible. But through 10 weeks and only putting up 24 points on the Jacksonville Jaguars, just not acceptable. And it seemed like late in the game, maybe Mikey Pettin was figuring out his issues. He was playing for his job against a guy named Jake Luton, who you hadn't even heard of three weeks ago. He made some adjustments. He was throwing four-man rushes instead of three-man rushes. And it worked in that last possession for Jacksonville's offense. So Mikey Pettin uh, lives to see another day, but that guy is not going to be the defensive coordinator of the Green Bay Packers next year. Again, this is an unacceptable showing, and I know the defense only allowed, what was it, 13 points, if I'm not mistaken, because you had the seven on special teams. Uh, but again, an ugly defensive performance, and even uglier, I'd argue, offensive performance. Aaron Rodgers, really the only bright spot of that offense today, outside of Marquez Valdez-Scantling. And MVS, I mean, he was just terrific today. He looked like a true wide receiver one. And, uh, you know, one of the one of the things we'll get to in what we learned here in a few minutes was that Marquez Valdez Scantling's growth cannot be understated this year. He has really grown from week one where he had multiple, you know, mistakes and drops. And he was just not playing up to the expectations that the Packers offense have for him. But now here in week 10, he's really filled into that role nicely. He's starting to grow and had a huge game today. Again, four catches, 149 yards in that big 78-yard touchdown in the first half. So overall, I want to hear from you. Are you ready to hit the panic button on Green Bay after this 24 to 20 victory? You can chime in on social media or on the phone line, 877-878-7683. Let's get to what we learned uh, here today for the Green Bay Packers win, 24 to 20. First thing we learned, and this is something we learn, it seems almost every season with the Packers, but you cannot overlook squat in the National Football League, especially in 2020. 
without fans in Lambeau Field. You cannot overlook a damn thing. And the Jacksonville Jaguars are no exception to that rule. Now, one and eight on the season, they didn't play like they were one and eight on the season. They were right in that game with backup quarterback Jake Luton all game long. They were throwing different looks at the Packers defense. And while neither offense was really rolling by any means in this game, uh, the Jags were in this game, the entirety of it. In fact, they were leading this game until there was about two and a half minutes left in the first half. So you cannot overlook anything in the NFL, especially in 2020. Another note, even Devontae Adams can struggle sometimes. That's what we learned today. Devontae Adams, who, I mean, last week, I was making the argument he was the best receiver in the NFL this year. And while I'd still happily make that argument, today was not a good look for that argument. Devontae Adams with a fumble today with a couple drops. He was struggling to hang on to the ball. He was able to make up for it with a with a touchdown there late in the fourth quarter. But still not the best game for uh, number 17 as Devontae Adams has a fumble, which uh, went to Jacksonville in this game and as well a few drops. So. Even Devontae Adams can have his down days. We learned that today. Uh, He was able to return from the blue medical tent as well. So it looks like the injury, not super serious, but we'll have more updates on that later this week. The note I mentioned just a a few minutes ago, Marquez Valdez-Scantling's growth should not be understated. He looked like a legitimate wide receiver one in this game. When the offense was struggling, when they were struggling to find positive notes in this game, Aaron Rodgers turned to MVS. And in the first half, had a big 78-yard touchdown and finished the game with over 140 yards. So MVS, his growth from week one where we were talking about, who the hell is this guy dropping every ball? I mean, why is he on the field if he cannot secure a catch? And here we are looking at MVS with over 140 yards and a touchdown. So uh, no drops for MVS today. A, a big note. Uh, and and Marquez Valdez-Scantling making a legitimate case as the Packers' number two wide receiver, Alan Lazard, unable to return for this one. And MBS says, next man up mentality, baby. And he goes bananas for the Packers' offense. One of the few bright spots for the Packers in this victory. And our final, what we learned is, well, our special teams, frankly, just isn't very good. They allow a huge punt return touchdown for Keelan Cole. And there was nobody there. Nobody there to stop Keelan Cole, except J.K. Scott, who uh, just decided, you know, I I forgot how my legs worked. Didn't even want to make a jump at that tackle. Looked like he was getting crossed up on a football field. Uh, Special teams is bad. Uh, I imagine Ron Zook is going to take one cold, hard look in the mirror tonight as Keelan Cole, uh, the first return touchdown on the Packers this season. So that is what we learned in today's Packers loss brought to you by Game On Wisconsin. Not a pretty one for the Green Bay Packers. Not a pretty one. 24 to 20 again, your final. I just I just don't know how to react to this one. And a side note, Keelan Cole, I felt like he's been in the NFL for forever. And really, his rookie year was the year the Jags were in the AFC Championship back in 2017. But I feel like Keelan Cole has been around for like 12 years. Uh, I might be alone in that. That is just a just a thought I had watching Keelan Cole run his way to the end zone uh, on that kick return touchdown. He also had a receiving touchdown for the Jacksonville Jaguars. So Keelan Cole, a big game for the Jags today. Um, 
and the Jags, a nice game against the seven and two Packers, but the Packers seven and two, a win's a win. And that's what you got out of that one. Uh, so let's go around the NFL. Let's check on some of the other games with impacts uh, in the National Football League today uh, as the Packers seven and two again atop the NFC, at least right now. Uh, the Buccaneers, though, not far behind them. They were able to turn on the Jets in the second half against the Carolina Panthers. They were tied at halftime, 17 apiece. But the Bucs walk away from that one with a 46-23 to victory. Tom Brady, 341 yards and three touchdowns in the W. Ronald Jones Jr. becomes just the fourth player in NFL history with a 98-yard or longer rush as he took a 98-yard rush to the house in the Buccaneers' victory over the Carolina Panthers, 46-23. to The Panthers now 3-7 and seven on the year. They look like a playoff team like five weeks ago, and now they just keep losing and losing and losing. And again, uh, we cheer for Scorigami in this house, and 46-23 to 23 is just that, uh, a unique score in the NFL, the first time that has ever been scored, 46 46- to 23 elsewhere in the NFC. I can't believe the words that are about to come out of my mouth. The New York giants are in first place of the NFC East three and seven. They beat the Philadelphia Eagles 27 to 17. The Eagles now three, five and one on the year. The giants have the tiebreaker. So they're in first place. The giants are three and seven and in first place. How outrageous is that? You know, I've always been a big advocate for how the NFL sets off the sets up their playoff. I've been an even bigger advocate about the seven-team playoff in each conference, but I am not an advocate of a four and twelve team, maybe, or five and eleven team hosting a playoff game. What an absolute joke that is. How sad is that for the NFC East? They don't even deserve a playoff spot, but hell, if the Giants go 5-11 and 11 and win that division, I guess they deserve a playoff game at home. 27-17, the Giants win today. Daniel Jones with a rushing touchdown in that one, 244 yards as well through the air. A nice win for the football Giants who scored in every single quarter of that game. Another team that won thanks to scoring in every quarter was the Detroit Lions here in the NFC North as they topped the Washington football team 30-27 to on a walk-off 56-yard field goal, I believe, from Matt Prater. 56-54, 54-yard field goal for uh, Matt Prater. 50, that, that says 50, 55, 54, 45, something like that. It was a long field goal nonetheless. Um, Kyle's trying to give me hand signals. It said 54. I, I don't know what that means. 59. Oh boy. 59 yard field goal. Thank you, Kyle. Um, for Matt Prater as the lions walked that one off 30 to 27. How about the high scoring affair between the Cleveland Browns and the Houston Texans? What a high scoring game that was. The Browns won 10 to seven. Wow. What a smoke show. Uh, the Browns, though, six and three on the year. The uh, Texans, two and seven now in the AFC South. And those are all of your finals uh, from the noon slate here on an NFL Sunday. The Browns and Texans was delayed for about 40 minutes due to inclement weather in Cleveland. And it was coming down, man. It was coming down in Cleveland. So uh, we will turn to producer Kyle now as we go through this Green Bay victory. 
just one more time, 24 to 20. The Packers are seven and two now, Kyle. Uh, but but still an ugly, ugly way to get there. Jacksonville was in this game. I mean, they even led this game in the second quarter. Uh, in fact, if I'm not mistaken, it was tied in the third quarter. The, the, and they, Green Bay's uh, Devontae they, Adams was able to they take were the lead. by three at one point in the third quarter. They were up 20 to 17. So, yeah. I, mean, I believe that was the fourth, fourth quarter. That was fourth, quarter. fourth quarter, they were up 20 to 17. So, it was that final drive um, with the Devontae Adams touchdown that really, you know, sealed it. And then, um, you, know, you know, midway through fourth quarter, then the defense finally – Actually, you know what? I want to bring up a point here. The defense didn't have a bad game. It's just the fact that they looked – It wasn't horrible. Like if they play that kind of game against Tampa Bay or Minnesota, it's a good game for the defense. But the fact that they played like that against a team where Jake Lutton's your starting quarterback, that's what concerns me. You know, they they, they play a game Luton. like that. Luton. Like what? Jake what? Luton. Jake Luton, whatever. I don't care. The guy is a six-round uh, pick out of Oregon State. I don't care what how you pronounce his last name. Um, he probably couldn't pronounce my last name, either, <laughs> whatever. Um, I, the, the defense played like crap, but they didn't play, you know, they didn't give up 200 yards to Delvin Cook. You know, they gave up, you know, they gave James Robinson a very serviceable day. Just, just 109 to James yeah. Robinson, yeah. And I mean the, the tackling is an issue, it always has been. Um, you know, I knew with Jair and King being out that there was the opportunity for DJ Chark to have, you know, a great game and he, you know, was held in check for the most part. I think 56 yards receiving on the day. Um yep. Adrian Amos yep. had a good game, had, had an interception. So I mean the yes, defense yeah. didn't play bad. It's just that when you when you play average against a team like Jacksonville, that's what you're gonna get, is what you saw today. So and also, one, one thing I want to bring up here yeah. about David Bakhtiari uh, before we wrap things up here. This is how he's going to be celebrating with his uh, fiance tonight. He's going to be celebrating with his fiance, my pups, a stogie, and a beer. A lot of beer and more beer. So, David Bakhtiari. Stogie and a beer and more beer. There you go. So, congratulations to him. Congratulations to the Packers for giving me an unneeded, you know, three hours of stress today when I was going into it, hoping for, you know, I had predicted last night on pulse of the pack of 41, 20 win. Um, I got half that, right? I mean, the Jaguars scored 20, just that <laughs> Packers didn't score 41. Like I was hoping for. So. Yeah, not quite, not quite. Now that was uh, not, not the prettiest showing for green Bay, but we will. We'll, I mean, the message remains the same. A win's a win, I guess. Right. And, uh, that is what the Packers will walk away with a 24 to 20 victory. They're now seven and two on the year. Kind of a final takeaway for me, Kyle is we can't, I mean, you can't overlook anybody in the NFL. I mean, we've always known that that's something that proved very true today, but I don't know where the Packers are. And, you know, early in the year, we thought they were an offensive machine that could score points. Well, clearly that's not the case. Uh, 24 only against Jacksonville. Next week is the game of the year for me. And I said that about San Francisco. I'll say it way more now against about Indianapolis. I think we, we have a decent sign of who Indy is now, right? They're going to win the AFC South. I think, I think they're better than Tennessee. We saw that on Thursday. I think they're a playoff team. They're a team that could win a playoff game in a tough AFC conference. 
So when Green Bay goes to Indianapolis next week, it's all about proving who you are. If they get that win in a blowout fashion, then yeah, I think we can continue the narrative that maybe Green Bay is a Super Bowl team. And last week was a fluke. And the game against Atlanta was a fluke. And the game against Tampa Bay was a fluke. When you start adding up excuses that tall, it probably means what you see isn't true. And what we see right now that is true is I don't know if the Packers are actually a contender. I think the Packers are in the conversation. The Packers have a good record. Of course, they're in the conversation and they're going to win the NFC North. I think that's kind of a given at this point. So they'll be right there come January. But can they stack up against the rest of the crop? Can they stack up against the rest of the talented teams in the NFC? And at this point, I'm nervous. We saw them beat New Orleans, but we saw them get stomped by Tampa Bay. And a team, obviously an AFC team, but a team like Jacksonville can go into Lambeau, of all places, on a day where the weather is not good. I mean, Jacksonville is used to playing in 85-degree weather in northern Florida. Here they come to northeast Wisconsin with the winds blowing, and it's under 40 degrees, and they can barely, barely win this game. So it's embarrassing still to me, even though it is a victory. I think it's still embarrassing. And the jury's still out on what Green Bay can do down the road. Yeah, you know, I'm glad you brought up the temperature because I had this stat had come up, and I can't confirm it 100%. But I was given this stat the other day by uh, someone I work with. The Jacksonville Jaguars have never won a game when the temperature at kickoff was 51 degrees or below, which at first glance was Is like – Is that real? I'm like, that, that can't be right. And then my next thing is, well, think about it. They only play in, you know, the they only play the NFC North once every four years. I mean, the majority eight games a year are played in Florida, unless you know, the, you know, they play the two games in London or whatever. And I'm thinking to myself, that can't be right. Like that doesn't sound right. And then, then you know, they only come up north, you know, once every so often. Um, maybe if they get a luck of the draw, they play Green Bay in you know September or October. I think the last time Green Bay and Jacksonville played at Lambeau was in October. If I'm you know, remember correctly, and that was like eight years ago. Um, you know, Minnesota, Detroit, yeah. home, so they avoid the temperature there. So everything was going against Jacksonville, other than the fact that you know our top two corners were out, and you know the wind. That was really the only factors, you know, going for Jacksonville. So I mean, I had expected a blowout. So you know, yeah, it's just. I got nothing else. That's that's really it. Like, yeah, yeah. It's it's just you don't know it's what to say. To... You don't want to overreact and say, "Look, this team isn't going anywhere." But at the same time, you know, they're seven and two sitting right now, pending the rest of today's games. They're sitting at top the NFC. So, just win. Yeah, it's, it, it's to tough to. It's tough. It's it's tough to snuff at yeah. seven and two, right? It's it's yeah. hard to complain about sitting in that position. But I guess that's what we do best, Kyle, is, is complain, I guess. Uh, 24 to 20, your final as Green Bay escapes with a victory over the Jacksonville Jaguars at Lambeau Field. Before we let all of you go and enjoy the rest of your football afternoon, I, I got to bring up Indianapolis. Uh, next Sunday at Indy, the Green Bay Packers will travel. It's the afternoon, America's game of the week. It's been, uh, it's been shoved to that slot, so... All eyes on Green Bay next week, Kyle. All eyes on Green Bay as they head to Indianapolis. They take on a solid AFC opponent, an opponent that's, you know, that they've, they've hung in there with the Bears. They, you know, they weren't able to put up 30 on Jacksonville in week one like Green Bay wasn't able to this week. 
a lot of things in common, but the things they don't have in common are this. Indianapolis has a top-class defense. I mean, they have one of the best defenses in the National Football League. Uh, they have a veteran quarterback like Phillip Rivers and a solid head coach in Frank Reich who is going to bring the game plan. They are going to scheme and study and bring it against Green Bay next week. I'm terrified. I'll be frankly honest with you. I don't think Green Bay wins next week, and I think it's a, another wake-up call for the green and gold fans, for the cheeseheads, but I guess you play the game for a reason. Yeah, I mean, between their defense, which I believe the Indianapolis is the best defense they are, have on their schedule this season, even more so than Tampa Bay, and that scares me because Tampa Bay really destroyed any game plan Green Bay had. Um, but what also scares me is Indianapolis' backfield, I think, is one of the most underrated groups in the league. You look at Jonathan Taylor, who's second-round pick out of, you know, University of Wisconsin, great player in college. He's had flashes in the NFL. Niam Hines has had a great couple of weeks. And you can't forget about Jordan Wilkins. Yeah, he's been on a roll. Who's a, who's a good contributor for Indianapolis as well. So they have three guys who any given Sunday can beat you. And that reminds me so much of San Francisco when they had Raheem Mostert, Tevin Coleman, and a third guy that I can't think of when they, when they played last year. So – this Indianapolis team is eerily similar to what we saw in San Francisco last year. And I got a feeling we could see what happens again, you know, a blowout game where Green Bay's offense is just flattened by what Frank Reich and what the Colts defense has to offer. The Colts defense has 11 yeah, I think- great players on their defense that, I mean, some of the best that they're, and they don't get recognized because I mean, Indianapolis is not, you know, with Peyton Manning out there anymore, they're not considered a, you know, high interest team, but I mean, they're, they're a damn good defense and they got the tools they need to beat green Bay easily. But as we saw today, any given Sunday in the NFL, any given Sunday in the NFL is right. But green Bay able to elude that almost loss and bad loss. What is what it would have been against Jacksonville. Uh, that'll do it for us here at the post ride on Game on Wisconsin. That is producer Kyle. Appreciate you, buddy. Uh, appreciate all your hard work. I'm going to go continue my COVID quarantine uh, as that's what, what I'm up to this week. We'll see you again next week. Same time, same play. Well, not same time. It'll be after the game. Same time in that regard. But later uh, next Sunday night as we break down the game between Indianapolis and Green Bay. Both teams have won three of their last four. Looking to make it four of their last five. It should be a good one. Looking forward to it. And as always, looking forward to chatting with you, Kyle. Appreciate all of your participation in the live chat and the text line and and on the Twitter today. Uh, Appreciate all of you stopping by and spending some time on your Sunday with us. I really do appreciate it. He's at K at Hoffenbecker on Twitter. I'm at Alex underscore Strofe. I mean, at least you could throw us a follow for matching and wearing the same sweatshirt on a Sunday. I'm waiting for you to bring that up today. There's some dedication. Some dedication to be shown there as we as we match. But that'll do it for us. Thanks so much for stopping by. We'll see you next week.